The Art and Craft of the Craftsman Bungalow. Mission Hills Heritage is delighted to bring you this podcast about the Craftsman Bungalow. If you don't have a map of the route, it is available for download at missionhillsheritage.org. In addition, directions within the podcast will keep you in the right place. As you head toward 1015 Hunter Street, an introduction to today's topic will accompany you. Within San Diego's older neighborhoods, in California, and around the nation, craftsman bungalows have secured an abiding place in American architecture and in the hearts of those who take delight in the particular feeling craftsman bungalows generate. Today, you will become better acquainted with the history that allowed its potential to ripen and emerge, making the bungalow the country's most popular and fashionable residence in the early 1900s. The homes on the quiet streets of our walk reveal the varied architecture of North Mission Hill's first few decades. You may already be able to recognize that of our focus today, but exactly how did the name Craftsman Bungalow come to be? The term craftsman stems from the British arts and crafts movement that began in the mid-1800s. The movement was an intense reaction to two conditions. The first was the ornate design elements of Victorian architecture. The second the high volume and often low quality goods being mass produced during the Industrial Revolution. The movement valued handcrafted products over machine made goods and nature and harmony over technology and automation. Traditional craftsmen were forced to give up their shops, move their families to the city and work for low wages in manufacturing sweatshops. This so-called March of Progress doomed the makers of traditional crafts that produced artisan goods. The arts and crafts movement's guiding principles reversed their imminent demise with a focus on handcrafted wares made from natural and locally available materials. In North America, three distinct architectural styles are connected with the arts and crafts movement. The earliest is Mission Revival, inspired by California's early missions, and unlike the other two, is found mostly in the Southwest. The second is the Prairie School, its horizontal emphasis reflecting the open plains of the Midwest and pioneered by Frank Lloyd Wright. And third is Craftsman. Although it spread widely throughout the country, it first became popular in Southern California following the 1909 Gamble House in Pasadena built by brothers Charles and Henry Green. Both Frank Lloyd Wright and the Greens were architects in their impressionable twenties when they attended Chicago's World's Fair in 1893. The White City, as it became known, astonished visitors during the day with its glowing white plaster buildings. But at night, brightly lit with electric power, it was mesmerizing. Electricity was so new that 32 more years would pass before even half of American homes had electricity. Captivating and inspiring the three young architects was the Japanese exhibit. It was set apart on a wooded aisle in the Central Lagoon, an important feature in the fair's topography designed by famed landscape architect Frederick Law Olmsted. From this coveted location rose a reproduction of Japan's most ancient Buddhist temple. The fair was a cacophony of sounds as it was built with all the commotion and clamor associated with industrial construction. But at the lagoon, 
The temple's Japanese craftsmen serenely assembled the carved and hand-hewn timbers using only hand tools and ropes. Japanese design and craftsmanship dovetailed with arts and crafts idealism, a fact not lost on the Green Brothers and Frank Lloyd Wright. Before long, the movement had expanded to encompass exterior and interior architecture, textiles, ceramics, and jewelry. In the summer of 1900, New York furniture builder Gustav Stickley created his first arts and crafts work, calling it The New Furniture. When he began publishing a magazine the next year, in 1901, his furniture became inseparable from the movement. In this way, his magazine, entitled The Craftsman, soon also signified the style. Now to analyze the word bungalow. When the British colonized India, they adopted a local style for their administrators' homes. Known as bangalas, they were one-story structures with wide covered verandas and an open floor plan to capture the breeze and facilitate cross-ventilation in the hot Indian climate. Each had a prominent hearth and interior wood details. The bangalas' horizontal emphasis with a low sloping roof line link the homes to the earth. From Bangla, spelled B-A-N-G-L-A, we get the English word bungalow. Despite Bangla's original meaning, the bungalow in Western culture is not always one story. It can be one, one and a half, or even two stories. Many were built large and small, and a very few were so individually custom designed that every detail was built by hand. Known as ultimate bungalows, the Gamble House in Pasadena and the Pratt House in Ojai are opulent historic homes and the very epitome of early 1900s arts and crafts. How ironic is it then that before long, large companies began what became a flourishing business selling factory-produced craftsman-style house kits. The kits were purchased for as little as $650 from such catalogs as Sears and Roebuck, then shipped by rail to virtually everywhere in the country. Instruction books touted that the average homeowner could build his house in 30 to 60 days. Was it a betrayal of arts and crafts ideals? Perhaps, but it produced affordable and attractive homes for middle-class Americans. Today's focus is to recognize iconic exterior elements of the craftsman bungalow. In India, as in America, integrating the land around buildings was an important principle, so my commentary will occasionally refer to the landscape. Let's look at some houses. You should now be facing 1015 Hunter Street. The porch here stretches the entire width of the house. Broad, airy porches are common features of the bungalow, and their usefulness and grace add to their lasting popularity. At the corners of this porch, two stucco piers rise from the earth. They reinforce that the bungalow is a solid, grounded structure. The corner piers and the columns above are tapered. In, architect in architectural terminology, this is known as battered. Nearest the front steps, the battered piers are shingle-covered and topped by rectangular columns. These elements are typical of the bungalow porch. 
The roof line has sloped sides that descend from a ridge beam along the top. This one forms a front-facing gable. Under the gable, vertical vent slats extend almost the full width of the house. Vents help keep structures cool and airy. The low pitch of this roof is also typical of craftsman bungalows. Wide craftsman entrance doors are usually stained rather than painted. This painted door has diamond-shaped bevel glass, which is more commonly seen on Victorian architecture. More typical of craftsman doors are vertical glass panes with, as seen here, a horizontal rail with dental molding below the glass insert. Continue now toward Jackdaw to find 1031 Hunter on the corner. The stucco L-shaped wraparound porch has exposed beams. The stickwork on both sides supports the gables. The supporting piers have stepped caps with three rectangular wooden columns surmounting each. Notice the two types of siding. Staggered shingles are on the upper part of the horizontal clabbered siding. Surrounding the door and windows is characteristic wide and contrasting trim molding. Windows in craftsman houses were often multi-paned at the top. These multi-lights topped a larger single pane of glass below. The gabled main roof here extends broadly over exposed eaves. The eaves are the end part of the roof that overhang the building. Wide eaves are another typical feature of craftsman bungalows. In the yard's hardscaping, we see a modern interpretation of traditional harmony beautifully reflected in the concrete walkway pads. They echo the stepped piers by being placed diagonally across the front of the yard, accenting other strong horizontal design elements. The cobblestones would not have been used in this manner originally, but they achieve a dramatic simplicity appropriate for the setting, complementing the muted tones of the house and the trim's creamy color. In addition, this use of locally sourced river rock fulfills an arts and crafts aesthetic, while at the same time ensuring today's emphasis on water-wise landscaping. Go to the corner now to appreciate another view of the house. From here, you can see horizontal steps repeated yet again on the chimney as it rises from the porch. On the roof are long low gables facing the front, the rear, and sides of the house. They intersect at the top. This cross gabling is often seen on craftsmen as well as other architectural styles. The gables here have open eaves protected by a barge board. The barge board is the wide trim that runs along the gable end of the roof. Under the eaves are exposed rafter tails, the ends of the roof rafters that support the peaked roof. The remaining bungalows are on Jackdaw past Ibis. Continue on to the corner of Jackdaw and Hunter, but stay on Hunter to first see the side of the house. As you get there, I'll contrast points of view taken by arts and crafts designers with those who preceded them, those of Queen Victoria's era. 
For the Victorians, beauty rather than practicality was the objective. This included fashion and furnishings as well as architecture. As a backlash, those setting the arts and crafts standards espoused practicality in clean lines. Form that revealed its function was considered beautiful in contrast to applied ornamentation that served no function. Furthermore, they believed this concept would be conducive to healthier, more comfortable, and productive lives. The house you are approaching is the first of four you will see today that have individual historic designation. To qualify for historic designation, a building must be significant under at least one of six qualifying reasons. This house at 4243 Jackdaw is the Lewis and Carmelita Fontanelle House. It qualifies under Criterion C for architecture since it is a representative example of a traditional craftsman with American, American colonial revival elements. The side on Hunter has an interesting combination of windows. Between the large classical white columns, a, a colonial element is a shallow bay window comprised of five sections. The narrow ones on the side and the large ones in the middle are fixed. Only the two windows that flank the middle section open. They are casement windows, as shown by the hinges on the side. They crank outward to capture breezes. To the left of the bay window is a five-part bow window, so-called because it bows outward, creating a curve. Here, the casement windows are the two on the ends. Look above the bow window at the east-west orientation of the gabled roof line. There you see three heavy but decorative beams and paired vent holes. Go now to the front of the house, where you will see that these are echoed on the larger gable of the porch. The front-facing porch gable roof features a wide overhang with three supporting roof beams. The round ventilation holes on this house are most unusual. As seen earlier, and as will be seen again later, the open eaves have exposed rafter tails. Besides the columns, the pair of original French doors and the stucco cladding add colonial revival touches. The front yard is open and visible, as are those of the surrounding houses. The very low-lying cobblestone perimeter enclosing the small front yard is original. Walkways from this period ran perpendicular to public sidewalks rather than curving toward the entrance. To get to the next house, cross Arbor Street. As you walk, look for elements of roof, window, and door details already discussed. Our destination is the blue house with cream trim at 4185 Jackdaw. This time I will take to explain a bit more. As earlier mentioned, the bungalow adopted the large porch and open floor plan of British colonial India as hallmarks of bungalow styling. Although many craftsmen style houses are bungalows, not all bungalows are craftsmen. Many other styles came to incorporate large covered porches and open floor plans. They became desirable features as a modern middle-class defined America, where the lifestyle had become decidedly more informal, and wives and mothers were in the kitchen more 
often than maids and cooks. It's where the kitchen became a family gathering place. It's where a family could enjoy shady comfort on a breezy porch after dinner. Such features define the bungalow style. Arts and crafts influences were also apparent in both Mission Revival, dating from the late 1800s, and the early 1900s Prairie School. They included fine workmanship, close attention to detail, and embellishments of wood and stonework. In San Diego, cobblestones found on site or nearby during construction were often used for garden walls and porch piers. Fine wood, most often not locally sourced, comprised interior built-ins, coffered ceilings, and wainscoting. Besides wood and stone, also highly prized was the use of natural and native materials, hammered copper, pewter, cast iron, and art glass. All are much coveted still. Stop it, 4185 Jackdaw, the 1910 Charles P. and Minnie K. Friesen House. It is the second of today's historically designated homes and qualifies under two categories. The first is Criterion A, Local Cultural Importance. It is believed to be the first structure completed on the block and remained isolated for a number of years. Building so far from downtown 110 years ago made the Friesens pioneers since they were among the very first inhabitants of our now historic area. It also falls under Criterion C for embodying distinctive architectural characteristics. This home is a prime example of a traditional design, but very different from the first designated house we saw on the corner. Here, the blend includes prairie and craftsmen, and also elements of the late Victorian. These features are sensitively combined to create an aesthetically pleasing home. The prairie and craftsman horizontal emphasis is created by the full-width porch and wide boards that give an even appearance along the roof's edge. Rather than peaked, they are horizontal and called fascia boards, whereas gables and their accompanying barge boards are present on almost all craftsman-style houses. This roof is low-pitched, but it is hipped, meaning that its four sloping sides meet at a single peak on the roof line. Hipped roofs are customarily seen on prairie houses, but found on only about 10% of craftsmen. Craftsman features here include four battered piers and at the top of the columns, decorative capitals. Running across the slightly upturned eaves are supportive brackets that, like the capitals, are decoratively cut. The slightly flared main roof line in the Japanese manner is a craftsman adaptation. It was popular during the period and, as you will soon see, popular on this block. These 20th century features contrast with such late 19th century Victorian elements as the oval glass in the entry door and the gabled dormers on three sides of the roof. A dormer is a window with its own roof, as are the two on the sides, the one above the entry door is a Greek Revival design and steeply peaked with a divided multi-light window. The cast iron mission style light fixture is consistent with craftsman and prairie furnishings. 
In the introduction, you may recall hearing that the arts and crafts period came to encompass ceramics and textiles, as well as other materials. Trees, notably the ginkgo, oak, and pine, figured prominently in those designs. So here, on the right side of the yard, it is especially fitting to see a ginkgo tree. Take a look at the Hollywood driveway. Their parallel concrete paths were a boon in the 1920s. Wheels of wagons, and then automobiles, would no longer carve deeper and deeper ruts in the ground. Oil dripping from cars was absorbed in the middle area where gravel was commonly used and could be regularly changed. The very next house, 4181 Jackdaw, three square piers are on an open beam, partial width porch. Two of these three piers are topped with battered columns. The front porch gable is supported by stickwork. The symmetric facade has two six over one picture windows. The entire house is clad in alternating wide and narrow horizontal siding, except for the coarse shingles under the gable. Shingles may be either staggered or coursed like these, that is, in lines. Although a modern retrofit, the front door is quintessentially craftsman, with three beveled windows above a horizontal wood railing and dental molding. Modern touches of arts and craft design include the decorative tiles artfully embedded in the walkway and replacement driveway. But the newest touches are courtesy of neighborhood children. On the parkway, with only a wee bit of assistance from their parents, they have been artfully building rock cairns. Could they be burgeoning craftsmen, beginning to hone their artisan talents? Just next door are 4167 and 4169 Jackdaw. The house and garage have separate addresses. Our third historically designated property is known as the Irving Security Company Spec House No. 1 and the Morris B. Irving House and is significant for two reasons. The first is Criterion C for architecture. As seen earlier, doors and windows are trimmed with 5-inch wide frames. Beneath the front stickwork gable is an elaborate diamond-shaped vent with a wood lattice screen enclosed in trim. Here again is a cast iron mission light fixture. Typical of craftsman homes, triangular knee braces are visible under the main roof gable. The barge boards here have a unique decorative design with a cutout diamond and arrow motif. Also notice the sturdy sets of four posts supporting the porch roof above the masonry piers. The exterior walls are a combination of coarse shingles and clabbered siding. The original garage was replaced in about 1927 by this two-story structure with a second-story apartment. The second reason for designation is Criterion D, the work of a notable person responsible for some aspect of the property. Morris B. Irving 
and Frankie Melter were real estate speculators who purchased the land in 1913. Morris was designated as a master builder by the city of San Diego and is responsible for many homes in our area. The owner of the next craftsman, which is at 4165 Jackdaw, right next door, is now 99 years old and has lived 50 of those years here. He has made some changes to the house, but its recognizable craftsman elements have been preserved. The front porch was originally partial width, with the two battered columns supporting its corners. The pier by the ramp is also original. Later additions are the pier with the two wooden columns on the driveway side. This addition, which extended the porch roof, provides increased shade for the porch and the living room. The lattice work enclosing the attic vent is a replacement. Look down the driveway at the side of the house to see a ribbon of leaded windows. The window closest to the street is double hung as well as the one on the other side of the picture window. Double hung windows are those that slide up and down in tracks. They are suspended by cords which are balanced by pulleys and iron weights. Look closely at the edge of a double hung window. In the middle of each window's edge is a small extension. This OG-shaped extension prevents the upper window from crushing fingers if the cord holding the window suddenly fails. The middle set makes up a bay window. Farther down the driveway, the first pattern is repeated. The driveway is also a good location to, to view two other elements consistent with craftsman styling. Look first up at the eaves that extend beyond the roof. It is possible that at some time in its hundred plus year history that the rafter tails have been shortened to remove damage from exposure or termites. Now look down at the shingles just above the foundation. This hallmark craftsman flare prevents water from pooling around the base of the house. From here, Look at the roof across the street at 4160 Jackdaw, where you see two front-facing gables. The low-profile peak in back is recessed, but the one in front is notably different from any other we've seen. This is an eyebrow gable. It is said to have been designed by a local master builder, and many others are in the immediate area and throughout Mission Hills. Now cross the street to 4160 and stop in front of the Hollywood driveway. From here you can see another eyebrow on the side of the house. Under it is a variation of dental molding, so named because of its resemblance to teeth, but spelled slightly differently, D-E-N-T-I-L. These are small and close set. Much like the other trim, it is painted brown to highlight the detail. Beneath the dental trim is a wide bow window. As has been seen, rafter tails extend beyond the eaves. The garage's vent is lattice, but on the house, all venting is formed of vertical slats. Before walking to the front, 
Can you spot finger-saving OGs on the double-hung windows? They can be seen on the side and on the window to the right of the entry door. Standing on the sidewalk in front of the house, you can see a substantial oak entry door with three elongated beveled glass inserts. This is typical of both Craftsman and Prairie. The diminutive mail slot is reminiscent of a time before multiple magazine subscriptions and junk mail became the norm. Massive square piers are topped with large cylindrical columns, one of the less common shapes in Craftsman architecture, although it does appear more in the prairie style. Extensive modern landscaping includes a waterfall, the source of that soothing sound. And modern walkway light fixtures exemplify the mission style with iron hardware and this time a botanical motif. We will continue walking down this side of the next block of Jackdaw, soon making our way to Hunter Street where the tour started. Stop next at 4186 Jackdaw, the first of three Japanese houses with unique elements reflective of that subgenre. At 4186, the front-facing peaked gable rests on extended rafter beams and a heavy lintel, echoing the ancient temples of Japan. The supporting piers have four levels, the two in front connected by a steep curved incline. They are topped with brick caps and used here for potted plants. The covered driveway structurally connected to the house forms a porte cochere, literally a gate for the coach, but it is not original to the house. Note the mission style light fixtures on the left side of the porte cochere and to the right of the front door. This door has no horizontal rail or dental trim. Rather, there are three beveled square panes above and three long vertical panes below. The generous amount of glass works well for an entrance that does not face the street. This house is especially complemented by its garden. Asian aesthetics result in a purposeful and contemplative landscape. A sculpted three-part fountain provides the calming sound of running water, making this yard a tranquil setting for meditation. The design is free of right angles and resonates with the Japanese curves of the house. On the corner is the last of our designated houses at 1201 West Arbor, the Seifert Melhorn House. Many of the elements that make this house unique are visible from Jackdaw. Let's start at the Hollywood driveway that has remained intact through the decades. Both it and the detached single car garage contribute to the historic setting. The first of three reasons for historic designation is Criterion B since a person significant to the history of San Diego lived here. City Councilman Colonel Frank F. Seifert was an important leader. He succeeded in having the City Harbor Commission dredge San Diego Bay and use the field to create Lindbergh Field. Colonel Seifert further distinguished himself by piloting the first airplane to land at the new airfield, now San Diego's International Airport. All this came together in 1928 affording him the unofficial title, Father of Lindbergh Field. Qualifying under Criterion C for architecture is no surprise. 
This house is an excellent example of a California Craftsman airplane bungalow with Japanese roofline details. Further, its style and presentation are enhanced by the prominent corner location and the addition of the second floor's unusually large airplane observation room. The unusual flavor of the upturned gables denotes Asian character. Like many craftsman bungalows, it retains the distinctive wide overhanging eaves with exposed straight-cut rafter tails, low-pitched gables with latticework attic vents, sizable wide-sit dental trim on both levels, and first-floor asymmetrical window arrangements. Now around the corner to see the front of the house. Originally, the address was 1201 West Rigdon, named, by the way, for the developer who is the topic of the first Mission Hills Heritage podcast. The Seifert Melhorn House is an early expression of combined exterior sculpted stucco and finely crafted woodwork that characterizes homes from pre-World War I. The house retains its original architectural features with one exception. A previous owner enclosed a front porch to expand the living room. The third reason for qualification is Criterion D, which honors the work of persons responsible for conceiving or building the house. Master builder Martin Van Melhorn designed and built this house in 1914 as a project of his Bay City Construction Company. Between 1911 and 1916, Melhorn, with his partner, craftsman carpenter John J. Warrenberger, built houses that emphasized high-quality cutwork. For example, these battered piers of the porch are a unique design. Cut into the bases are decorative niches. Above are stucco appliques in the same shape but inverted, and each column is topped by dual horizontal bands of brick. The light fixture style is likely quite recognizable by now. You're probably wondering, what does Mission have to do with Craftsman? Stay with me to find out. Let's continue on to the next block. The third Japanese house is to the right. We won't be discussing this one, but take a look if you like. We will continue on to the driveway at 4220 Jack Dock. From here you will see decoratively cut rafter tails and dental molding on the front and down the side of the porch. By walking to the front, a dormer with an unusual three-part window grouping comes into view. It is supported by three small triangular knee braces. Rusticated concrete blocks make up the stepped piers and porch wall and are occasionally seen on craftsman bungalows and other buildings of the 20th century's first quarter. They were usually formed on site with portable block making machines. Seeing them on bungalows is especially appropriate since their use can be traced directly back to the Indian bangalows. Once again, here is a mission style light fixture. By stepping to the driveway on the right, you can see larger knee braces, the first on the corner of the porch and others down the side. In contrast with the dark brown braces, the barge board and eaves are painted yellow. Before moving to our last house, 
take a look down to see the gray stones at the sidewalk. These are not the indigenous river rocks we encountered earlier and see throughout Mission Hills, but they too have a local history. To see many more and hear their history, proceed to the gray house on the corner at 4244 Jackdaw. Built as a craftsman in 1913, it was significantly remodeled in the mid 20th century. The photo of the original house was in the very first issue of San Diego Magazine. By comparing the picture to the house, you can readily see that the overhanging eaves, vents, and rafter tails were removed. The bay window with divided lights replaced an 8 over 1 picture window. The colonial columns, of course, were also added. But it's the gray granite stone siding that is so intriguing. During World War II, these stones were discovered under trolley tracks that were being removed. On some, grease and tar stains are still visible. But prior to that, in the 1800s, these stones were ballast in the holds of sailing ships coming in and going out of the harbor. Ships would offload ballast before taking on passengers or cargo. Conversely, they would add ballast for stability before heading to sea with an empty ship. Ballast rock had to be precisely cut to prevent it from rolling around in the hold, possibly capsizing a ship in heavy seas. You are now back on Hunter, but keep listening. We haven't quite finished, and the mission-style lighting has yet to be explained. First, though, a word for Mission Hills Heritage. We sincerely hope you have enjoyed this tour, had some questions answered, and learned a few things. By joining or keeping a membership with us, you will be availed of what's happening in print, online, and when safe, in person. We thank you most sincerely for your support and efforts to help us keep Mission Hills the lovely neighborhood we treasure. Go to missionhillsheritage.org and thank you very much. Now to conclude. Mission Hills Lighting and Mission Revival Architecture were mentioned a few times, but what was their connection to craftsmen and prairie styles? Beginning in the late 1800s, Mission Revival Architecture in California was linked to the arts and crafts movement. As mentioned in the introduction, the style was based on the California missions. The first of the 21 missions was in San Diego. They were established a day's ride on horseback from one another and ended up the coast at San Rafael. The mission's buildings were diverse, and the style's revival in popular culture also took myriad forms. Remember that New York furniture builder Gustav Stickley? He visited California in 1904, and soon mission-style homes began to appear in his magazine, The Craftsman. So it's not surprising that forged ironwork lighting used in the missions would influence that used in the mission revival design and that it would then perfectly complement other arts and crafts period architecture. Furthermore, mission-style furniture also became synonymous with the craftsman style. If you are interested in seeing more examples of craftsmen, backtrack past Arbor to Montecito and turn right. This will take you by many craftsman houses and on a number of corner lots are large prairie houses. This podcast was written and recorded by Patricia R. Lowe.